welcome to the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. My name is Mark, and I'm the pastor of the Congregation of St. Thomas the Doubter, an independent ecumenical congregation for all people that embraces holy doubt, the importance of grace, and the power of solidarity in community. You can find out more about our congregation online at stthomascongregation.org. This podcast offers the scripture lessons and sermons from our Sunday evening services. In the future, it may also be a place for conversation and discussion on various issues of religion and faith. This is episode 14 and is from the service for September 3, 2023. The scripture lesson is Exodus 3, verses 1 through 15, and the sermon is entitled, The God Who Knows. We hope you enjoy the episode. Our scripture lesson for tonight comes from the third chapter of the book of Exodus, beginning at the first verse, and is the story of Moses and the burning bush. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then God said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me, and I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus shall you say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this my title for all generations. The word of God 
for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the burning bush story has a lot in it um, that could occupy our attention. Um, and in fact, as this uh, passage was frequently, at least once every three years, the passage that showed up on the first Sunday of the academic year, I have frequently mined this uh, very text uh, for all kinds of different messages. Um, in fact, Kathleen has even drawn me uh, whiteboard illustrations for our sermons, and that there's one in particular about standing on holy ground that I have saved and remember quite well um, as we use that in that context. So there's a lot of things that we could talk about. We could talk about um, the idea of standing on holy ground and what it means to be in sacred community. We could talk about how this is one of the first of the prophetic call stories, that it follows, well, I should say establishes, the pattern that we will see repeated throughout all of the other call stories with the prophets. That is, God calls, the prophet responds, here I am. God says, I've got a mission for you. The person says, well, I think you've got the wrong person. Who am I that I should go? And it goes back and forth like that for a while. We, we'll see that with Jeremiah. We'll see that with Isaiah. We'll see that with many of the prophets. Or we could look at the persistence of relationship. It's interesting to me that God identifies God's self to Moses at the beginning as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, establishing that continuity with the God of the patriarchs and with their experience, and then tells him to tell the Israelites that the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent him to them. And there's this power in that continuity that what was known centuries ago is known today. We could talk also about that we get God's name revealed in this passage in a way. I mean, we have known God's name in a way from the very beginning of chapter two of the book of Genesis when we are when God is described as the Lord God. And as I've mentioned numerous other times, Lord, when you see it in the Bible, especially when it's written in small capital letters, is the substitute for the name Yahweh in the Hebrew. It's a name shrouded in mystery, but this passage makes a connection between the verb, the name Yahweh and the verb Hayah, which means to be. Because here it is that God identifies God's self as I am who I am. Now, a strange quirk of Hebrew verbs means that this could also, depending on what vowels you put into it, mean something like, I am who causes to be, or I cause to be that which I cause to be, or a bunch of other possibilities. But we get this sense here that in God's revelation here to Moses, he is identifying as the God who is. I am who I am. But I think of all the possibilities, all the myriad things going on in this text, there is something about the nature of God that is powerfully expressed here. Now, we've talked about the nature of God 
many, many times. In fact, the last sermon that we had together, the last service we had back in June was called The God Who Hears. And we talked about the story of Ishmael and Hagar being sent away and how God hears the child. And God is identified as a God of hearing. And tonight we read the following. I have observed the misery of my people. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. What's interesting is that we have in that statement, I have seen, I have heard, and I know. In the Islamic tradition, the, they speak about the six fundamental attributes of God, that God is living, knowing, seeing, hearing, willing, and communicating. And here in this one verse, we get three out of those six, right? I have seen the suffering, I have heard their cry, and I know their sufferings. But I want to focus on the knowing part. God claims to know the sufferings of the people. So what is it then that God knows? When we speak of God as a knowing God, what does that mean? Now, generally, we tend to think of God's knowledge as in the form of what we call omniscience, right? that God knows everything, right? that God is all-knowing, all-seeing, all-hearing, that God is in command of all knowledge that can be possible, that even the location and the momentum of a subatomic particle are known to God, even though they cannot be known to us, right? That God is all-knowing. But this very common portrait of God's omniscience raises all kinds of philosophical problems for us, not the least of which is, do we have free will if God knows what we're going to do? Or an even more salient philosophical issue is, if God does know everything, then God must know all these terrible things that are happening, so why doesn't God stop them? In effect, why is there evil if God is powerful and God knows everything? I mean, that very objection is addressed in the book of Job, and Job's only solution is, well, God must not know everything, because if God did know everything, God would surely stop what's happening to me. And to be fair to Job, there are certainly instances in the scripture where it does not appear that God knows everything. God doesn't know where Adam and Eve are in the garden. He doesn't know why they're, why they're hiding. He doesn't know who told them they were naked. He doesn't know all these things, right? They have to tell God their story and catch God up. God can also be talked out of things, as he is by Abraham, as he is by Moses, as if God had not yet considered the points that those folks are going to raise. So Job might have some permission for thinking that perhaps God doesn't know everything, but that doesn't really solve our greater philosophical problems, and that's not the kind of knowledge that I think is being talked about here. See, when God says that God knows the sufferings of the people, I don't think that it means that God is aware of them or God has become informed of them. It means something else, something deeper. 
See, the Hebrew verb yada, which means to know, means to know, but not quite in the same way that the English verb to know means to know. There are some languages that have different levels of understanding. In French, for example, they have two verbs that mean to know. They have connaître and savoir, and savoir is a deeper knowing. It's a kind of knowing within, and that sense is closer to the Hebrew sense, which means to know by experience, to really know something. It's the difference, and I know we've all experienced this, between being told how to drive somewhere and driving there yourself, right? When you do it yourself, you learn it in a way, you know it in a way because you have experienced it. You are more likely to remember it more than simply someone saying, go down three blocks, turn left, and so on. Even if you get lost that first time, you will still know the way better. Then if you simply memorized it from the paper, you will have a knowledge, a deeper knowledge. And that is the sense of this verb that is being explored here. Excuse me. God, when God says, I know their sufferings, he's not admitting to being intellectually, cognitively aware that the Israelites are suffering. God is saying, I know what they're going through. Now, this is perhaps one of the most surprising and profound revelations in all of the Hebrew scriptures. One that we might, as Christians, take a little bit for granted because we tend to see everything through the lens of Jesus, and Jesus knows our sorrows. You know, we sing that hymn, Jesus walked this lonesome valley, and all of those kinds of hymns that talk about Jesus knowing what we went through. But here, on Sinai, God says to Moses, I know, I have experienced their suffering. And this is powerful because in the ancient world, many, many religions believed that their gods were powerful. A handful of them, few, believed that their gods were good. But only the Israelites believed that their god was powerful, good, and vulnerable. Think about that for a moment, that God can choose to experience suffering, that God can choose to experience what we are going through, that God is not distant and aloof and disinterested the way the Olympian gods were or the gods of the Egyptian pantheon, right? These gods didn't care what was happening to us. They might find us fun playthings. They might find us you know, fun things to manipulate in order to get revenge on some other god, but they didn't care. They didn't feel for us. So here in this, in this one verse, I have seen, I have heard, I know, God reveals something so profound, so transformative, that it's often only the fifth or sixth thing that we notice in looking at this text. It's hiding there in plain sight, the God who knows, the God who experiences along with us.
I mean, this understanding of the knowledge of what knowledge is, is experiential, by the way, is how you make sense of all those verses in the Bible that talk about Adam knowing his wife and they had children, right? It's, it's a much more experiential thing than it is that, you know, it's not telling us that Adam said, oh yeah, I know her, that's Eve, right? It's talking about the ability to know through experience, through intimate acquaintance. And here God is saying the same thing about the suffering of the people in Egypt. That God knows. And so what does that mean for us? It means that even in our deepest sorrow, even in the lowest places we can be, and in the ancient world, there was there were no lower stations than being slaves. You were not considered even a person. You were property. In fact, the word that we that the Romans used to use for slave, servus, means literally someone who was spared from death, right? I would have otherwise killed you in battle, but I'm taking you as a slave. I have saved you. You're my servant, and therefore you belong to me. Your life is mine. Right? You're not a person, really. And what this story is saying is, that's the one God knows. Those are the ones that God has declared solidarity with. Those are the ones that whose story God knows. That's powerful. Because we're okay with, we are used to the idea that God hears the prayers of the powerful, that God listens to the kings and the princes and the popes and the bishops and the presidents and all of those, right? God, of course, God listens to them. They're in charge. God is hearing and seeing and knowing the lives of those who are being oppressed. It's a reminder for us of two things. One, is that however we find ourselves in our lives, we are not alone. God knows our struggles. God is present with us. But two, if we are to be the body of Christ in the world, if we are to be the hand of God in the world, then we also must see and hear and know the experiences of those who are oppressed of those who are being marginalized, of those who are swept into the corners of society. Those are the ones that God declares solidarity with. Those are the ones that we as the people of faith must also. It's not enough for us to cluck our tongues when a story comes across our feed of sorrow or suffering somewhere. It's not enough for us to shake our heads and say, oh, how, how sad. We have to do as much. We have to be the ones who see and hear and know and then send ourselves and others to Pharaoh to proclaim liberty for the captives. This is a rich, rich text. I love it. You could probably spend the entire year going through these 15 verses. But if there is one thing for us to focus on tonight, it is that 
the God who goes with us wherever our lives go, calls us to do the same for others. Thank you for listening to this episode of the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. For more information about the podcast and our congregation, visit www.stthomascongregation.org. Thanks again, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Thank you.